0: So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you said you will never leave us nor forsake us. We confess that we've looked for other helpers, and we haven't found other helpers. You're our helper, and you found us. So help us now, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would cause us to preach. We ask this in your name. Amen. Everything was good, now it's bad, so, so it seems. I watch uh, CNN, and they have a banner on the right side of the TV with one number that keeps going up, that's like the number of deaths, and another number that keeps going down, that's the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I think... What happened? What the hell is going on? Many of you know Alan and Jennifer Parsons. Alan's been one of my best friends since I was like six years old. After we both graduated from CU, Alan decided to serve the Lord in Lesotho, Africa by building water systems with the Peace Corps for the last and the least of these. After two years, he returned from Africa Worked a lucrative job in California and then married his wife, Jennifer. Soon, Alan and Jennifer both felt called to drop everything, move to Costa Rica, and serve the Lord as missionaries with young life. For over two years, they lived in this little apartment with paper thin walls. On one side of them were these kids that would party into the wee hours of the morning. On the other side was a carpenter who would turn off his, turn up, power up his power tools just before dawn. The work was hard, frustrating at times. It often seemed futile, but it was a labor of love, and Alan and Jennifer offered it to Jesus When Ellen and Jennifer came back to the States, they had a layover in the Bay Area where we happened to be living at the time where I served as a youth pastor. So we arranged for dinner at our house. Before they went on returning to Colorado, I picked them up at the airport. It was great to see them. Everything was great. Everything was good. We were happy. But as we drove through some of the highest-priced real estate in the country, Ellen and Jennifer started asking about my life our church life, and, uh, of course, our home. Feeling ornery, I started to say things like this. God certainly has blessed us here in Danville. Alan, don't you believe that God blesses those who are faithful to him, those that know the good and choose to do it? And Alan said, "Um, yeah, sure, guess so. When we obey, he makes us prosper, I said. It's the kind of stuff you hear at church all the time. And it's pretty, pretty, that's pretty easy to, uh, to find in the Old Testament as well. This is Deuteronomy 28. If you obey, the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord gives you, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. So anyway, I said to Alan, I said, you know, Alan, I've obeyed. I've given to the Lord and He's given back to me. And Alan said, uh, Okay, that's nice. You can't outgive God, can you, Alan? He said, Well, I suppose not. And then I said, Alan, the Lord God has given me and Susan a home. Meanwhile, I had just gotten off the freeway a few exits early and I was driving through. A very nice area of multi-million dollar homes when I spotted one gorgeous house with no car in the drive. So I drove up, hopped out of the car, headed toward the door saying, Yes, God is faithful to those he loves. He keeps us secure in his mercy, the Jaguars in the garage. Now, hear me well. Having a big house and a nice car can be a great blessing. All good gifts come from God, but implying that those things are God's payment to you because you have been obedient to him, that's something different. Remember, walking toward the door. I turn around. Alan and Jennifer are standing there just kind of stammering, looking at me, kind of confused, trying to act nice, but I could see it in Alan's face. Things have been good, but now everything was bad, and he was thinking faithful. Peter, you want to talk faithful? Where's my stinking house? Where's my Jaguar? Where's my security? My prosperity? I did everything right and what the hell? Just then, getting a little worried about security cameras and guards and stuff like that, I said, oh, wait, gosh, I'm sorry. This isn't my house. I I took the wrong exit. Then Alan... We said a bunch of bad words, and he hit me. He hit me. So anyway, I've just been thinking about Alan this week. I've been wondering if we've all been feeling a bit like Alan just before I said, Oh, I'm sorry, this isn't my house. And Alan wondered, Well, where's my house? Where's my security? Alan was relatively happy. Life seemed good until I fed him a lie. But actually, most of what I said was true. Because, see, it's true that we cannot outgive God. It's true that when we obey, God will bless us in the land that He gives us. It's true that for each of us, there's a house. Those statements are true, but I strung them together in a false narrative. Most all of the devil's statements in Scripture, if, if you pay close attention, they're true. But He strings them together in a false narrative, which, which twists the facts and turns them all into lies. So I don't want to lie. There's no doubt that we will be experiencing some real tribulation in the coming days. But the surprise we feel and the questions that we ask might betray that we have believed a false narrative. You might have even called that false narrative the gospel. So we ask, what's wrong, who's to blame, and what do we do about it? What's wrong? My friend Wade posted on my Facebook page, is God in charge of all this? I know what Wade's saying, I, I know this is evil, and you say that God is good. So. If he's good, he isn't in control. If he's controlling, control, well, then he's not good. We want to know who's to blame. I heard that uh, pangolins are to blame. Or Chinese people that eat pangolins, bats, and snakes. Or maybe some secret Chinese bioterrorism program. That's uh, to blame. Or maybe stupid Italians who let the Chinese into their country. Or maybe Donald Trump. Or could it be Barack Obama? Or maybe God. Because he made pangolins. He made bats and snakes, Italians, Chinese. Donald Trump and Barack Obama. He's the one that made Adam and Eve and left them in a garden with a deadly tree and an evil talking snake. Other people say, none of that's important. None of that's important. The only thing that's important is, what do we need to do now, Pastor? What do I do now? I don't know exactly, but it strikes me as rather fascinating that although everything has changed, nothing has really changed, except that now we are asking all of these questions together and at the same time. I mean, we all seem surprised that we might die either in the big way or in like a million little ways, and yet we already knew that, didn't we? Have we been asleep? Dreaming a dream that we'd never die? Maybe it's good that something's shattering our illusion and waking us up, and maybe it's good that we would ask all these questions together. How we answer, I believe, Is dependent on one of two narratives. A narrative is how we give meaning to all of the facts. The first narrative is that the world is governed by immutable laws like gravity, thermodynamics, and the Ten Commandments. To live is to gain knowledge of these laws, knowledge of good and evil, and then utilize that knowledge to create and save uh, your life, your own life, build your own house, if, if you will. Secular people often call that the survival of the fittest. Religious people often call that righteousness. They think it refers to your ability to obey God's laws and then build a life a house, if you will, a self, strong enough and fit enough to endure God's judgment and so survive. See, this first narrative assumes that we're all alive and preparing to die. The second narrative is not that this world is governed by a set of Immutable laws and our ability to obey them the second narrative is that the world is governed by our dad Who is telling our story with his word the story of our salvation that is our creation he has laws, but they're all part of this story story of of grace called the gospel It's revealed in scripture, but not only scripture Because Jesus is the light that enlightens all men. He's the plot to the gospel, and he's the life, the life and the logos, and that's not the survival of the fittest, but actually the sacrifice of the fittest. And surprisingly, the gospel doesn't assume that any of us are alive. It actually reveals something quite different. So you could call the first narrative, I save, me saves, or we save, and you could call uh, the second, God saves, or in Aramaic, Yeshua. So what's wrong? Who's to blame? And what do we do now? What's wrong? Genesis 2 7. On the sixth day of creation, God formed Ha Adam, humanity, out of the dust of the ground, the Adamah. Verse 8, he planted a garden. Verse 9, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the beginning, we read about two trees in one place in the Garden of Eden. In the end, there is one tree in the midst of the Garden City, the New Jerusalem. In the middle, we find one tree flanked by two trees in the garden on Mount Calvary. Tree and cross are often one word in biblical Greek or or Hebrew. In the modern era, folks have been just obsessed with finding the Garden of Eden. Orthodox Jews think that it's on the Temple Mount. And yet, we've learned that we are the Temple. And in the inner sanctuary, there's a garden. The garden is at the beginning of your time. And the garden is at the end of your time. And it's indeed, it's, 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 it's the edge of all your space. And it's the edge of time and eternity. It's where all your time takes on meaning. Logos. In the beginning, humanity was with God, but humanity didn't know it. We didn't know the good, and so couldn't find our helper, our, our savior. And so our helper said, it's not good that ha-adam, the Adam, is alone. He split the Adam in two, making male and female. We'll discover that the ultimate Adam, the eschatos Adam, is Jesus and we all together are his body and bride, that is, the woman made from the man, body broken and blood shed, and the woman that will even give birth to the man, the promised seed, the promised blessing. Genesis 3.1, it's still the sixth day of creation, for not everything is good, and humanity has not yet known the good, has not yet learned to love, that has not yet learned to lose oneself and find oneself In another, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Now it's interesting that she refers to the tree, singular, in the midst of the garden. God mentioned two trees but both in the midst of the garden. I mean, it might have been helpful for God to have said to, to the woman, by the way, sweetheart, the one on your left will kill you, the one just a little to the right there, well, that will make you live. But no, of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And of course, she doesn't know that that's bad to die, right? And she doesn't know that the word of God He's good. Shouldn't have the knowledge of good and evil. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Isn't that interesting? We find that everything else the serpent says is pretty much basically true, but this is, this is the lie. You will not die. And yet, according to the book of Hebrews, the devil keeps us in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. So God says, You will die. The devil says, you will not die, and then he keeps us in lifelong bondage, thinking and worrying, oh gosh, I I might die. Sound familiar? Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Clothes are coverings. A tent, that is a tabernacle, is a covering. A house is a covering. Self justification, self justification, self-righteousness. Well that's that's a covering. Your psyche, your ego, your resume, your full self, the show you put on, it's a covering. We make coverings to protect ourselves. What are Eve and that first Adam protecting themselves from? Next verse. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Presence of the Lord God, they hid themselves among the trees of the garden. The Lord God walking in a body is named Jesus. And he is the life. They hid from the life. And I would think that's death. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? The word of the Lord is the music of God that upholds all creation. So I suspect the Lord sang, Where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent serpent deceived me, and I ate. This, this is a cover-up. Did you notice? And that's why we eat of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, isn't it? That's why we take the law, to justify ourselves, to cover ourselves, to protect ourselves from the judgment of God. And Jesus is the judgment of God and our covering. He's the word of God spoken into the void, creating all things, including us. So this is a cover up. This is a cover-up because Adam and Eve are still taken from the tree. They're taking knowledge of good and evil and using it to justify themselves. In the process, they're taking life from each other in an effort to save themselves, which only damns themselves and stops the river of life. You see, they've become those zombies and vampires that we've been preaching about since, since Christmas. They're biting and devouring each other, taking life rather than giving life. They've become aware of the good, but are trapped in evil. Trying to take the good to make themselves good, they only make themselves more evil. They take the good, and that is the life who is our Lord and and our helper. They want the good, but they're terrified of the good because now they know they're not good. because they believe the narrative of the snake you are salvation they've cut themselves off from God salvation the story that God is telling and the life that God is giving they're the walking dead trapped in hell surrounded by heaven They are not the living, threatened by death. They are now the dead, threatened by life. The life, the light, the judgment of God. Are you threatened by the judgment of God? Jesus said, I know that the Father's judgment is eternal life. John 12, 50. Father's judgment is eternal life. So, so what, is, what is death? You know, in Scripture, physical death really isn't death so much as a metaphor for death. Just as your body is a metaphor for the body, just as male and female is a metaphor for Jesus and us, Jesus and his body, Christ and his church, his bride. Romans 7, 9, Paul writes this. I was once alive apart from the law. That's the knowledge of good and evil. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul thinks that at one time he was alive like Adam and Eve were alive in the garden at the start. But he died when he began to take knowledge of good and evil to justify himself, to protect himself from the judgment of God, which is a decision called love, which is life. The first death is hiding yourself from the life. It's cutting yourself off from your source. It's like a body part that refuses to bleed, to lose its life and find it. The day you eat of it you will surely die, said God, and we've been eating of a we've been eating of it, but we've all been trying to justify ourselves, save ourselves, create ourselves ever since ever since what? Maybe like the age of two or three. That day, we became self-conscious, insecure, anxious, and afraid because we felt shame. And so we began to blame, taking life rather than giving life. The day we began to hide from the life, the light, and the judgment of God, the day we began to hide in ourselves. The very selves that we try to save. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life, his psyche, his self, whoever wants to save his life, it's really weird, I think, that we modern evangelicals threaten people with death and then ask, who wants to save his life? Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. The first death is seizing control of the life. The second death is surrendering control of the life. So the first death is seizing control. The second death is surrendering control. The first death is separation. The second death is separation from separation, which I think would be like communion. The first death is darkness, where men weep and gnash their teeth. The second death is a lake of burning love that is the very life of God. The second death is the death of death, which is eternal life and the judgment of God. The first death is darkness, shame, and fear. The second death is faith. <laughs> Listen to Jesus, John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word... That's what they were hiding from, remember. Whoever hears my word and believes, and believes, that that means have faith, all from the same root, which means trust. Whoever hears my word and trusts him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, Jesus thinks you're dead until you trust God's judgment, which is himself. The life. For then you pass through judgment from death into life, eternal life, which is the death of death. God's judgment is eternal life. God's judgment is, to, is, his judgment is to make you like Himself, the one who never hides in fear and always chooses to love in freedom. Well, on the sixth day of creation, which is also this day of creation, Unless, of course, you were already perfected and finished in the image of God. The sixth day of creation, Adam and Eve are hiding from God and still eating from the tree, trying to make heaven, but sinking deeper and deeper into hell. They've been enchanted by an evil talking snake and the illusion, the illusion of their own control, their own sovereignty, a false narrative. The serpent deceived me and I ate, says the woman, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, this seed born of woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, your toil in pregnancy. It will be labor. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground, the Adamah, for your sake. Did you notice that he didn't curse Adam or Eve, but he cursed the ground, the Adamah, the dust of which we are constructed. He cursed the earth and their earthen vessels, their houses of clay. He cursed them, quote, for their sake. In other words, this curse is a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Of them is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Poverty, weakness, and tears well, that's part of the curse, isn't it? The curse that is like the cutting edge of infinite blessing. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Adamah vessels, we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God, wrote Paul. So blessed are you, crackpots, blessed are you, shattered earthen vessels, for the curse reveals the blessing. Cursed are your houses of fig leaves, your houses of arrogance and self-confidence, self-righteousness and fear. Cursed is the Adamah for your sake. Next verse, in toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field, the herb of the field, not herb. I always get confused with it's herb or herb. You'll eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the Adamah, to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Isn't that crazy? You'd think you'd call her like, he'd call her like mother of the dead. But he calls her mother of all living, literally translated all living one. That's interesting. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. I'm guessing it was the skin of a lamb. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man, ha-adam, humanity, has become like one of us. To know good and evil I mean that sounds like a lesson that we 're still learning huh and and now lest he put out his hand and take also or take again gam is the word in Hebrew can translate it also or again unless he take also or again of the tree of life and eat or keep eating and live forever uh, so you see to, to live forever eating of this tree as they'd been eating of the tree well I think That would be an endless hell of darkness, loneliness, self consciousness, sorrow, and fear. Do you suppose that God cursed the earth to save us from hell? An endless hell? Well, isn't everything that He does a blessing? And now, lest the Adam put out his hand and take again of the tree of life and eat and keep eating and live forever. Therefore, therefore, the Lord God sent him, ha-adam, humanity, out of the Garden of Eden to till the Adamah from which he was taken. To stare his own death in the face, if you will, to till the Adamah. From which he was taken, so he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. You know, like the ones on the Ark of the Covenant. Placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. To keep us from taking the life from the tree. And yet we still return to the tree, right? Right? We will know the good and choose the good, which is the life, our helper. In the revelation, John hears the new Jerusalem. And in the new Jerusalem, sorry, it's not coronavirus, those are almonds. In the new Jerusalem, everyone sings. Then he sees the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. She's a temple and a city. And in the middle of the city, the tree of life leaves for the healing of the nation. Uh, Revelation 2, 7, the tree of life which is in the paradise of God, that's Eden. In the gospel of Luke, the life hangs on a tree at the edge of old Jerusalem, at the end of the sixth day of creation, sixth day of the week, sixth hour of the day, and he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, as if none of us knew good from evil the day that we took his life on that tree. Flanking him on either side of him are two more trees. <clears throat> two other men. The first Adam, the first man, reviles him and judges him. The second Adam, the second man, trusts him and is judged by him as he confesses, we've done evil and this man is good. This is the good. To that second man, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. That's Eden. The cross is a curse. Cursed is the man, the Adam that hangs on a tree. It's a curse, and yet look again. And it's the greatest blessing. Because it kills us and sets us free. If we are joined with him in a death like his, we will surely be joined with him in a resurrection like his, wrote Paul. Jesus did not come so you would never lose your life. Jesus came to help you lose your life so you could find it in him. He came to help you lose yourself, your soul, your psyche, your earthen vessel, that thing that you think is life, but is actually a prison of lifelong bondage. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God's waking us up. So I think we've all been asleep in the illusion of our own Sovereignty, like that first thief that judges Jesus, judges Jesus and tries to take his life. But Jesus turns us, he turns us into that second thief that is judged by Jesus, receives his life, and becomes the very image of God. I think this is the fruit that was hanging on the tree in the middle of the garden. This is the good. In flesh, this is the life. In the beginning, we all take knowledge of the good to justify ourselves and make ourselves in the image of God. We take knowledge from the tree, which is taking the life on the tree, which is the day we crucify Christ and the day we die. It's the day that we begin to think that our life is our own and begin to build an ego, a false self. God curses the Adamah, Cast us out of the garden in order that we'd die to ourselves and we'd come back to the tree in a new way. Jesus is the way. We ingested him when we took the fruit from the tree, he descended into us. He, he was cast out with us because he would not leave us nor forsake us. He is our helper. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That life is rising from the dead in us. It's a decision, it's a judgment called love. When we come to the communion table, we confess that we broke his body and took his, his life. Oh, that's evil. We confess that we took his life and proclaim that he gave his life. He forgave his life. That's the good. And that's the life. That's the decision called love. So what is it that brings us back to this table? What is it that brings us back to this table and back to this tree? Isn't it like an awareness or a knowledge that we cannot justify ourselves, that our earthen vessel is cracking, that we're dust, and to dust we keep seeming to return. It's an assault from the outside that cracks our earthen vessel, that destroys this tent that we call a home, and that, you see, is the curse. It's an assault from the outside, and it's a voice rising from the inside. That's the blessing. The Word of God rising from the dead within us. That's the judgment of God and how God makes us in His own image. And God is outrageously happy. Last Thursday, I was feeling pretty sad because I had watched like a whole lot of news. The news is a narration of the facts. And the underlying assumption is almost always the same. We're alive and we're all threatened with death, so we better take this knowledge, this news, and save ourselves. At lunch, I went down to the basement to ride our exercise bike, and instead of turning on the news like I normally do, I I decided to do a YouTube search for Italians singing on balconies. And I never got to the news because i was just like mesmerized for like a half hour with with stuff like this something. I was weeping on the exercise bike, trying to exercise. Italy has the highest death rate and all the best singing. And this is my point. No one did that in Italy until COVID-19. They would have yelled at you. They would, they would have yelled, Shut up, you stupid singer! It's 7 in the morning! They go back to sleep! But this last week, they came out of their apartments, out of their houses, but more importantly, they came out of themselves, out of their insecurities, out of their egos, out of their fig leaves, and they all began to sing together. They asked the same question together, and together they sang the answer. I know I'm sure that that you might be thinking, well, gosh, that's nice. That's really nice, Peter, for those that lived. You see, the ones in the video weren't the ones that lived. Not really. It's those that died and live that have truly come out of themselves and truly begun to sing such that they will never ever ever stop. They've lost themselves and found themselves in the new Jerusalem, the new creation where everyone sings because everyone believes God is salvation. In a word, Yeshua, Jesus. See, we're not living, preparing to die We're more like the dead preparing to live. That's the gospel. That's the story. The story that God is telling. That's the word that narrates, or I should say, sings all things into existence. To refuse to listen is to trap yourself in nowhere and nothingness. Your body may die, but if your soul hasn't died, if you still believe that you are your own salvation, you'll weep and gnash your teeth in the outer darkness until you finally surrender to the singer of the song who has descended into your hell to sing to you. To refuse to listen is death. Just death. But to listen is the death of death, to listen is life, even now. And so your body will die. You knew that would happen, right? Your body will die, but you won't die because you've already lost your life and found it singing in the New Jerusalem. So you'll die, and then you'll turn to Jesus and say, thank you for setting me free from this body of death. The Lord will bless you in the land that He gives you. That land is an entire new creation. And you will obey Him because He's giving you His own heart. And He will give you a house. In fact, it's the very same house as His house. Second Corinthians 5 verse 1. We know that if the tabernacle, the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent We groan. Why do you groan? You know, I've been preaching this. You you may have been saying to yourself, well, Peter, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of the damage that this is causing to our economy. I'm I'm bothered by watching my 401k evaporate. Uh, uh, But I'm not afraid of death. Well, you see, that is death. That's the death of death, the loss of your control. In this tent, we groan, writes Paul. There's no way around the fact that this hurts. This pandemic really, really, really hurts. But read Paul's story. That also hurt. So why did he groan? We groan, next verse, longing. That means the groaning is hope. We groan, longing, hoping to put on our heavenly dwelling. While we are still in this tent, we groan, writes Paul. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So what the hell is going on? Hell is going on. It's been going on ever since we took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree, the tree, I think is in some amazing way also the tree of life. We took the fruit from that that tree in the middle of the garden. Hell has been going on. But, 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 But it's being swallowed up by the life, which is the death of death. In other words, we're fixing to be born. The whole creation is groaning together in travail, waiting for the revelation of the sons of glory, which is us. So what's wrong? The narrative. We believe that we save and haven't trusted God saves. So what's happening? The death of death is happening, eternal life is happening. So who's to blame? Well God's to blame, for his judgment is good. In fact, the only place you can hide from his judgment is evil. So what should we do? Well, wash your hands. Don't gather in large groups, I guess more than 10 if you're in Colorado, other other places, I guess. Call your mom. But first and foremost, what should you do? Do nothing. Some people think that's death. But maybe it's, the death of death I think God calls it the Sabbath the seventh day <laughs> what you've done is build a self to enter the Sabbath is to surrender that self is to surrender your house your earth and vessel your ego so so Surrender yourself and then um, listen. Surrender yourself and then listen for the song. And if you want, sing along because you're free. So on the night, That he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, my earthen vessel broken for you, take and eat, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood, pour it out for the forgiveness of sins, drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This is called communion because we commune with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Satan has been keeping you in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. So, let's beat him at his game and just die right here. Let's get our dying over with right here. Right now. Pray with me. Just say this after me. Jesus, I give my life. I give myself to you. Jesus, I give my house. I give my ego. I give my control. I give the people that I love, I give my neighbors, I give everything to you, I give my life to you, and I confess that, well, gosh, it was yours all along. I give my life to you, and I thank you that you have always given your life to me. And now take your granola bar or your biscuit, or whatever. Or if you don't have one right now, you just remember the last time you did this and you dip it in the cup. All your hope is in him. And all the hope that is in you is him. Christ in you is the promised seed. Christ in you is the promised blessing. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's what Paul says. This is the mystery of ages and generations that was hidden, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So go ahead and moan, but only moan because you hope. And now, um, why don't you sing?
1: Dark.
0: sometimes, I know people think that sometimes they're bold enough to say it. Why such a long sermon? Why all the, ex- Sasha's there, she's laughing. Why all the uh, explaining? I mean, all this explaining, all this time, all this preaching, and you haven't told me what to do. All you've told me is the story of what God has done. Exactly. That's because I just want you to trust him. He is the judgment of God. Let me put it another way He is the death of death. And until you trust him, you're dead. So trust Him. And you can start singing now. And if you didn't understand the sermon, everything that I just said is basically this. Believe the gospel. Amen.